0: Welcome to the Permission to Succeed Podcast. The purpose of our podcast is to inspire you with stories and wisdom,
1: learn from people who are out there killing it. People who at some point in their life gave themselves permission to succeed. Now, onto the show with your hosts, Matt Halloran and Doug Heikinen. Hello and welcome to another Permission to Succeed Podcast live from the Market Council Summit in beautiful Las Vegas Four Seasons Hotel, our guest is Amit Dogra, the CEO of Third Seven Advisors. Amit, tell us a little bit about the story behind the name of Third Seven Advisors and tell us a little bit about what you do. Third
2: Seven Advisors actually has its roots in in philosophy. There was an Austrian philosopher named Rudolf Steiner. If you're a philosophy fan, you're familiar with him. And he believed that the body regenerates its trillions of cells every seven years. So, if you believe in that premise and it's somewhat highly debatable but if you believe in that premise then there was also he took it a step further that said as we enter adulthood and we enter our third seventh year cycle is when we are in our highest opportunity in regards to personal and professional growth and our founders were in their third seventh life cycle of adulthood when they founded Third Seven.
1: Wow.
2: So it's not your typical naming of a street or a kid's name or something like that. Totally. It's actually rooted in philosophy. See, now that's a legit We're a very story. deep firm. I love that. Yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. Okay, So tell us what you do. Well, besides get on your podcast <laughs> when you have no one else to fit in, <laughs> um, I'm the CEO of Third Seven Advisors. We're a nationally recognized firm based out of New York. Uh, we initially got started in the February of this year, and from the February of this year to now, we've raised $940 million of assets. Wow. Uh, yeah, so we're pretty excited about that, um, but we really focus on three things that we think make us different, because there's a lot of players in this space. Um, number one is, we're focused on putting the investments back in investing. What does that mean? Investments is what people got into this business for. It's sure. why people try to invest money. But we've diluted that offering with index funds and mutual funds and SMAs and UMAs and WhoMAs who and whatever. <laughs> but, and we've taken it so far as now, we have zero index funds, zero cost index oh, yeah. funds. So what are we saying about investments? That it really doesn't matter. Mm. Well, we actually believe it does. And we believe the final frontier on investments is direct investing. So not being through a fund structure, but direct investments into companies. And if you think about this industry, it's what it was founded on, Mm -hmm. right? Investing in interesting stocks. Mm -hmm. Those are privately held companies now. And so we give our advisors, by extension their clients, the opportunity to invest in early stage companies and late stage companies. So they get the opportunity to have that cocktail conversation or the golf course conversation. And even if it's a small percentage of their portfolio, still the thing they love talking about the Mm -hmm. most. So we're putting the investments back in investing by direct investing. We focus on putting together a unique technology stack. Uh, Most of it, we're out to solve advisor problems, we're not looking to take the same sort of technology that everyone has and customize it. We've tried to solve most of the problems, and we found that a lot of that is solved in the family office space and in the institutional space, so our technology comes out of there. Now, we're not saying we're here to compete on technology, but we really think we've solved a lot of issues for clients in that regard. And then finally, it's on high-value consulting. Everybody does business planning. Everybody does client segmentation. We think those are great services, but we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Instead of creating a one-to-many consulting program, we created a one-to-one program that's on high-value items. Like, what is your existence for your advisory firm? You as the founder could tell me if, if what they, you do and why you do it, but could your client associate? And don't you want them to be connected to your firm? They're the ones who answer the phone. So if they're not tied into it, and they think it's just a job answering phones, That's going to come through in the phones. Hi, I'm a Dogra, third seven. (laughs) As opposed to being someone who knows that by they're the first line of defense Mm -hmm. and the first experience. And they are the pinnacle of everything that happens from that moment forward. And now you get, hi, I'm a Dogra, third seven advisors, because they're tapped into it and they know their importance. Focusing on those sort of softer issues that are high value, that make immediate, that maybe don't make immediate impact, Mm -hmm. but it's impact that is long term and sustainable. That's what we're focused on. So high value consulting, so putting the investments back in investing, a unique technology stack, high value consulting. That's what makes us different. Well, okay. So the 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 technology family office piece there, I want to unpack that
1: just a little bit because we have done a halfway decent amount of podcasts with people who not really do what you do but kind of and that is something really fundamentally unique and I I love I'm a huge fan of the pudding actually investing back in that's fantastic and I love the fact that that's I mean that's the greatest investor of all times that's his philosophy and I guess I'm really surprised how many people don't pay attention to that but and then I want to unpack number three. But let's talk about number two with the technology and family office. What does that mean exactly? So if I decide that I'm gonna become a, a member of your family here, mm-hmm. how do you help me do that and bring some
2: like that philosophy to my clients? Yeah, so when when I was at previous firms, we were we had our own technology and, and what part of my job was being the voice of the field. So mm-hmm. I worked with advisors. And my phone would constantly be ringing. I would get ring and I'd get berated by advisors about this doesn't work or it doesn't solve for this. I'll give you a great example. Just reporting. Mm -hmm. Real estate's REIT. An advisor could look at it and say, this is such a traditional REIT. It's just a large cap. Whereas the software only looks at it as alternative, or even better, non-classified. Nothing better than giving a client a statement that says non-classified. <laughs> How am I doing today? Well, your non-classified's up 3%. That instills you know, confidence oh, right there. Oh, absolutely. And that, and that really is a customized solution. Uh-huh. So I set out to say, okay, if I'm going to do this, while I don't want to compete on technology because it's, it's an arms race and it changes so quickly, I at least want to say, am I solving 90 to 99 percent of the problems so if i set out to solve 99 percent of the problems and get to 90 i know i'm doing better than most totally so it was exhaustive and my my coo probably wanted to blow my brains out because i made him take every phone call in every meeting to say who does this who can solve most of it and what we found is in the family office space they were feeling the same problems so what do they do (laughs) because they have enough money they just invented their own software right so what, our, so what we use for reporting is a firm called um, Family Wealth Reporting. Really kind of, or I'm sorry, Private Wealth Systems. Excuse oh, me. Private Wealth Private, Systems. I'm okay. sorry, much better than Family Wealth Reporting. Private Wealth Systems, I want to give it right. Because the people there are great. Not a creative name, but it solves what they're trying to do. So in fact, you could classify real estate as large cap or as an alternative, imagine that. Let's take it one step further. If you and your wife, Matt, wanted to look at it in two different ways, they could even classify it differently for that. Now let's go further back to one of our major tenants, direct investing. Mm-hmm. You usually can't capture that right. in their traditional reporting system. They are built to do that. Because in the family office environment, direct investing is up 70% over, over year over year. So they know that they need to solve for that. Sure. They can do multi-currency, they can go out to 20 plus decimal points. What advisor really needs that? None. But what it does solve for is over 90 plus percent of what an advisor can do. My favorite quote, I'm waiting, I'm sure it will happen is when we bring them in and an advisor asks the question, the answer is always yes. And that's a great position to be in. Totally. So that's the kind of stuff that we were looking to say is like, look, we know that everyone can handle a majority of it, but who can handle those sort of one-off opportunities? And if we can get those solved, then we'll really find something that's interesting. Okay, you have grown
1: exponentially in, in our just kind of hanging out and chatting and learning more about you. How has that
2: happened? Well, I think our story really resonates because at the end of the day, what is this industry all about? It's about investments. It's in their name for crying out loud, whether it's an RIA or an investment advisor. Everybody wants investments. Mm-hmm. And while everyone's zigging and zagging trying to provide insurance and other services, and by the way, I agree we need to do that, mm-hmm. but everyone really wants to talk investments. When I talk to a breakaway advisor, they say, Ahmed, I never had the chance. We heard about it. When I came to Morgan Stanley or Credit Suisse or whatever other firm it was, we were told we could get it, but it always went to the institutional desk. Or, as I was called, the haves. I'm a have-not, mm. and I never got to see that. So because our number one source of distribution is our advisors, they love that idea. Then you take in the, the consulting end of it, the mm-hmm. growth band. I mean, everybody wants to grow. And those are the types of advisors that we're focused on. So if you're looking to grow, and you want to be able to say, what do I do what, to answer the question, excuse me, Mr. Advisor, how do you justify your 1% fee? We're solving for that. Gotcha. And it provides confidence. And you know what, it's even one step further. When we talk to our strategic partners, such as the custodians, they're really inspired by it. The best, the best uh, compliment I got was, um, your story is not like everyone else and it makes it easier for us to tell. And, and, and so that was, that was high praise from where I was coming from. Absolutely. So super humbled by what we're doing because it's, it's a validation of the proof of concept.
0: Amit, this is the Permission to Succeed podcast, and we want to talk about you now. Can you remember your first memory of financial services?
2: Yes. So growing up as a kid, played a lot of sports, and in particular, uh, played soccer. And I'll never forget coming home on Saturdays after soccer at 10 o'clock and sitting down in front of the TV just to kind of relax. And my dad would walk down the stairs with a big box, two boxes of paper, and one was letters that needed to be folded, and the other that were envelopes that needed to be stamped. And so my job was to fold the letter into thirds, stuff them in the envelope, take his little stamper, stamp on number 341, um, so he, he we knew how to identify them, and then lick them all. And uh, you, know, high, being, you know, you fast forward. I'm not sure if you guys are Seinfeld fans, but. Um, there was, a, I think, it was George Costanza's wife who ended up dying by licking envelopes. I'm wondering, like, oh, geez, does that explain why I'm so weird now? Because I licked all those envelopes as I was a kid. So I'm like, I said to my dad, I'm like, Dad, why do I have to do this? He said, because if there's anything in life, you got, if you want it, you got to do it yourself. And it was, and I didn't realize it until later in life when I started to gravitate towards the financial services that I've always been in this industry. It's hmm. kind of in my blood, if you will. So it was one of those uh, interesting moments where life came full circle where someone's like, oh, you're just like your dad. I'm like, no, I'm not. Wait, wait, actually, I guess I am. It's <laughs> so not a bad thing.
0: <laughs> so always in the industry, was there a point also that you realized you were an entrepreneur?
2: You know, I do. And and, and so it's a little bit of a, a, a roundabout way, so bear with me. It's um, My parents, did. they were, they were the first generation, if you will. And they came over, you know, with a total of 35 cents and a ball of lint in their pocket. And so they did everything to, to, to provide us with a better life. And I'm, I'm supremely thankful to them. But, you know, when we started, when we were younger, Christmases were a little lean. A lot of what you needed, not a lot of what you wanted. And so you get a lot of underwear and clothes and shirts but you'd always my mom she was great at it she would always leave one present off to the side where there was no name tags or anything and there was just these couple boxes sitting off there and you're always wondering what's in those boxes and that was your big toy that was your big surprise Mm -hmm. so you get one toy and I remember afterwards kind of sitting there and feeling good about things and looking at the window and my neighbor David uh, was had gotten a new bike for Christmas and uh, he was trying to ride the bike, and he was not doing well. And he got so frustrated that he threw the bike down and walked away, and there was the bike. And I looked at the bike, and I, I started walking towards the door, and, and, and my father put his, his hand on my shoulder, kind of almost like as a, not now, son. And I while oh, wow, my parents always tried to give us the best of what they could do, I knew in that moment that I wanted to be at a point where I wanted to be able to control my own destiny, so if I wanted to get that bike or wanted to get something, I was going to go ahead and be able to do that. And I actually got a paper uh, paper wrapped <laughs> the following spring to kind of help save up for a new bike.
0: Was there someone along the way that you saw, um, whether you knew or didn't know, that you pointed your finger at and said, ah, that's the person that I can go after and be?
2: You know, my first memory of an entrepreneur, actually again, is is my father. He. Um, he was by background engineer, and when he came over he couldn't get a job as an engineer. Um, you know, being of Indian descent, there wasn't many of those sort of technical jobs. So he tried the entrepreneurial route, and his first job was he opened up his own clothing store. It was called Vina Fashions, which is my oldest sister's name. And um, for, those of, for those of us who are old enough, he sold a lot of jeans, including Sassoon jeans. My favorite sweatshirt was the Sassoon jeans with the fingers holding up, and I love that sweatshirt and everything. And I said to my dad, I said, Dad, this is so cool. I remember going to the manufacturer store to pick the clothes. I'm like, Dad, this is so cool. You can pick it whatever you want. And he, and he said, He said that's the, that's the benefit of being an entrepreneur. You can pick what you want, mm-hmm. but you live and die by your own success. And it, and it probably, um, unfortunately, the clothing store didn't make it, but he went into uh, financial services as an insurance agent. But it was my first sort of real uh, feeling of, you can really do anything. Um, and he did that his whole career. He was an entrepreneur's mm-hmm. whole career from that perspective, and it was really one of those moments where, um, you know, as we, as I reflect upon life, it's like, wow, those are the types of memories that you forget that are part of your subconscious that really sort of shape and impact you.
0: So being the Permission to Succeed podcast, was there a point in your life where you came up against a wall that you kind of just said, uh, uh-uh, I'm going to go for it and do it?
2: Yeah, it was actually in this last round. So my, I was most recently working at Hightower. And I left Hightower in September of last year. And um, I left on good terms. And I got the opportunity to sit out for a little bit. And so I took some time off and I said, what is it I'm going to do next? And the benefit of working at a large firm, a successful firm like Hightower, was that you could talk to anybody. So I talked to custodians, I talked to vendors, I talked to all kinds of different firms. Everybody wanted um, the opportunity to speak to me. So I was able to sit on everybody's couch. And, and you know, as I started to look at all the different firms, and I just saw so much similarity. It was really sort of this sea of gray, if you will. And I thought about myself sitting in front of people and saying, why did you go to X firm? And I was like, geez, if I have to get into the number 10, 20 reason as to why I came to this firm, this is going to be really hard. And so I really sat there and thought about, geez, what is it I'm going to do? And, and I really wasn't sure. And I got a phone call from a recruiter and said, hey, look, I know you're looking for something different. And I don't know how early you wanna go, but there's this firm that's really about to take, about to do something different that you might find interesting. And so in November of last year, I met with uh, some of the partners of Third Seven, and in that moment, I knew right away that this was different. And that if I was ever gonna go for it, now is the time. My kids were young enough where they would forgive me <laughs> for not being around, um, but this was the opportunity for me to make my mark and step out, and instead of being, part of just the fabric shape the fabric and be part of its fiber and define the fiber and define the culture and define the offering and while the raw material is there was going to be a lot of work but if I truly believed in the entrepreneurial spirit and I wanted to better myself this was my moment and and I remember interviewing with them and I had to go to another interview later in that afternoon and they said well if you're interested we're hosting our holiday party and I said well look depending on how things go I may come back or I may not and I knew in my mind that if that I was probably coming back, I just didn't wanna say it, but I, that, that this was gonna be the moment that I was gonna define my own personal career, my personal endeavors by joining 3rd7. Now, CEO is a big deal. I mean, especially, did you get hired in as the CEO,
1: and were
2: you in an executive position at your previous firm? Yeah, so I was part of the management team okay. at Hightower, okay. and I was brought in as president. We both agreed, a uh, president of 3rd7, and we both agreed, I said, look, well, we think this is gonna be a, a real strong match. Why don't we test our waters a little bit and feel mm-hmm. ourselves out? So, we gave ourselves about a 90 day window. Within 90 days, I was named the CEO. Gotcha. That's a big deal.
1: I mean, you know, the, the people throw around CEO, unfortunately, more than they probably should. Mm-hmm. It takes a substantial amount of confidence and hooch and all sorts of, you know, inner strength. Where do you draw that from? Uh, so the people who listen to this podcast are going to be people who are going to be looking up to people like you. I mean, I mean right. they're going to say, oh, my God, I want to be that guy. Help them get there. How do you draw from that strength to give you the energy to do
2: all of this? Yeah, you know, so much of it is personal. But the, I think some of the best advice I got very young on as a as a young professional was seek out mentors, Seek out help because there are people who have been in your shoes, and maybe it's not exactly alike, but there are enough of it to, to help you get through those rough moments. You have to have an outlet because as a CEO, your job is to be that cheerleader, mm-hmm. to, be, to set the vision and set the course and, and inspire and enroll people in what you're doing. And When you're passionate about what you do it comes across easily and the best CEOs are passionate So I knew I wasn't going to step into something that I was interested in I had to be passionate about it and I love what I do And I really think we have a different message and and when I talk to people it does resonate but it was those it's finding that network of people who can support you and say because there are, you know, there's all kinds of great sayings. So I spend, I usually start my day in two ways. Number one, I get up and I read about the industry. It's the first thing I do, I read about our industry. And number two, I subscribe to uh, several different sort of outlets and and reader uh, sort of uh, input reading about just being about success and what it takes to be successful. And it could be every, little things like, the, de- the day is darkest before the dawn. Mm-hmm. Little things like that, but mm-hmm. you need those sort of things to push you through, and then you need your network of people who can say, oh my gosh, I, mean, I remember when you were, where I wasn't sure if the next check was gonna go through, it was gonna bounce. But everyone I talked to has those moments, who said, look, it's always, you know, you gotta experience that. If you're going to be successful, you have to get through those times where you bootstrap your way to success because those are the moments that you'll look back on. So I always tell people, it's like, look, I've been, how many times have you been close to giving up? Almost daily. The difference is you push through that because you know and you have passion and conviction that you're building something and you have to be able to have that sort of resiliency to get through it. And having other people to talk to, it, probably not in your company, but outside your company are a really good support system where you can get that outlet and then get back to doing what you need to do.
0: So there's the mentors of these the other people. Did you learn something about yourself that was key to this whole thing?
2: You know, it, 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 there is a self-discovery process in this and I don't think people give that enough sort of thought. Because you can, to your point, Matt, you know, being a CEO, it it is a big deal. Ah, You know, you get a, there's a sort of a a gravitas to it. There's not sort of, there is a gravitas Mm -hmm. towards it. And there's also sort of a headiness to it. But when that all goes away, people are all eyes on you. And what I learned before I took this job was that I wasn't afraid to make the decision. And as a CEO, you got to, you got to recognize that there's a path to run Mm -hmm. and you can't worry about if it's the right path. At some point, you got to make the decision. And you got to commit to it. So it can't be you You commit to it because of the default. As I tell my team, it's you can disagree, but you have to commit. Because once we commit, it can't be, see, Amit, I told you this. No, disagree and commit. And I think it was Jeff Bezos who has that sort of mentality is – of, of saying with this team, it's like, look, we can all come at it with three different opinions, but when we leave the room, we lock arms and agree. And even if it fails, we don't say, "I told you so." We all disagree and committed to. it. So you gotta have that that good teamwork to help you and have people all rowing in the same direction. So it was the understanding that you have to be able to carve out the path and be committed to the path. That was something that I, I learned prior to this role was so such a unique skill set because you could sit in meetings and people would talk and they would debate you to death. But then you'd say, well, what do you want to do? Crickets. Having the, having the chutzpah mm-hmm. to say we're going in that direction was something that was a unique skill set. And I was never, it never looked to me as sort of unique. I never felt it was unique, but I always felt it within myself that that was the way to go. So I think when I realized that was sort of a defining characteristic of being a CEO, I knew I could do the job. That was freaking awesome, by the way. I love,
1: there's so much. I'm going to recap just very quickly. And I'm trying to figure out where I even want to go because you just gave. I love the commit. Okay. I had a couple other things, but I think that's it. So so the people who are listening to this podcast right now, if you're not willing to make that commitment, walk out of the boardroom, walk out of your office, and and be arm in arm with either yourself or with your team or whatever then you need to understand you need to hire somebody who has that ability i think a lot of people who are entrepreneurial think that i can just be a ceo Mm, no right you you just can't be a ceo just because you give yourself the title doesn't mean there's some personality traits and amit you did a magnificent job of explaining those personality traits we have not had that yet on the the p2s
0: podcast we haven't and he still needs to give us advice so let's let's do that
1: the young people who are listening to the podcast yeah. right if you were gonna go ahead and give them one piece what would it be
2: the, the other characteristic I think that's important for a CEO is yeah you also have to ha- not have rabbit ears right you can't you can't throw your antennas up and listen to what everyone else thinks about you right thinking what other people think about you is their opinion and it's much different than who you are as a person. Your actions will speak. Forget about people's opinions. If you have a belief and a conviction, you have to drive through that because there will always be naysayers. It's always easy to say, I didn't agree. But being a CEO is being that resolve in the face of no. And that's really important because people will always tell you that that's not right or it's too hard, it's a difficult challenge. If you are committed, if you really have passion, if you really have conviction, you can't listen to other people because it will be hard and you may fail. Right? and but there's so many people out there who failed before they became successful. Failure is not the end of the road. Failure is a path on the road to success. And if you can't see that, you're never gonna get there. And it's really, really hard. Right? And that's why you gotta have the outlets, and you gotta have the other people around you, and the people to pick you up and do that. But you have to you know that your resolve is gonna be tested, and there's always people who are gonna be doing it, and there's always gonna be someone who may be doing it just like you, or a little bit different, or a little bit ahead of you, and you may say, that's not fair, and that's okay. Right, it's not fair, but it is okay. Y- if you believe, you have to be able to push through. Right? Because success is always on the other side of that. You just have to push through. So uh, that's what I would say to people is you can't have rabbit ears. You can't be looking around. Don't read your plush things. Don't read them if they're good. Don't read them if they're bad. Just keep doing what you're doing and things will work themselves out. But you got to keep going. Got to keep going.
1: And that's what permission to succeed is all about is finding a way to communicate to all of you who really, truly want to bootstrap their success, really push themselves through and get to where they want to go. You have to give yourself that permission. Amit, thank you very much for being a guest on our show today. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Doug, thank you very much for helping us out today. Yeah. You, you kept me on track with her. I totally missed that. Uh, jewel. That you I know that jewel at the I end. end. I know. What, I, <laughs> I owe you one for that one, Doug. I appreciate it. All right. Well, this has been uh, all of us at Permission to Succeed at the live from the Market Council Summit in Las Vegas. Amit Dogre, who is the CEO of Third7Advisors, was our guest. And please make sure that you give yourself permission to succeed and also give yourself permission to subscribe to the podcast. That way, every time we come out with a new podcast, we'll show up directly on your listening device. So for everybody at Third7 and everybody at Iris and Top Advisor Marketing, this is Matt Haller, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon.
0: This was brought to you by iris.xyz a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.